0: Are you in the States now actually or? No, right now I'm in Guatemala and cross your fingers at the internet works. <laughs> we'll see. So far it holds up. It was glitching as soon as <laughs> you <she> said that.
1: <laughs> no, it's showing yeah, it's showing uploaded and speeds work, so Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's well. good. That's good. Cool. Yeah, 99%. You're golden. Perfect. Um just trying to come up with a good intro but obviously as always i'm lacking hello yes (laughs) i'm I'm trying to get a good pun out but they um they have been lacking quite a lot um but yeah fuck i had no one with guatemala now i forgot it again
2: (laughs) they got they got exotic birds in guatemala haven't they just like your hairstyle
0: is that yeah and shitty passports right jose (laughs) oh horrible (laughs) <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm, I'm right now applying for visas for extended stays in Europe. It's, you have no idea this situation.
1: For for any one of the listeners, Jose is if you've ever spoken to a person from Guatemala, it is quite a challenge traveling with that passport. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's something else. Uh, you there's a story. Yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> You know, when I go to customs, they actually ask me, why do I look like I look? They they don't trust it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's like uh, I've been to multiple rooms. I actually went into a room while I was starting the IVEX project or, yeah, like a year ago. They flagged me in and. It was two or three times that I had gone into the U.S. and they flagged me. So first time they flagged me, put me in the room, then came out, just gave me the passport, went out. Then the second time I actually had interviewed. And so you sit for like i don't know 50 minutes whatever till they get to you and then you sit down in a little like cubicle and stuff and you get asked like you know what are you doing here and you know whole life story i'm i'm going back to who my parents were (laughs) all kinds of (laughs) stuff uh and did you get a special search (laughs) no thankfully not but then i come up to like But why are you coming into the U.S. and everything? And I'm like, well, listen, we're setting up an office here in, in the U.S. Uh, you know, we have this company. It's a startup. We just got backed by VCs. And, uh, you know, how much did you raise? Four million. Here's the article. Can I read about it? Yeah, here's the article. Here's this. Here's, you know. Shit. And he's like, but why don't you get, why don't you have an investor visa? And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> like, you tell me. I'm <laughs> you tell me man. I mean but yeah it's a, it's a trip I can imagine <laughs> yeah
1: for uh, anyone of the listeners we've started a bit of a new format where we try to be chill in the beginning and not go into the main question right away we have José here on today he's the CEO of Ibex and I guess José if someone in the States has used one of the bigger like Bitcoin Magazine sites or paid for tickets, they've used your mm-hmm. services, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we Not only Bitcoin Magazine, but uh, we have a couple of interesting partnerships in the US. Uh, most of the conferences like to use uh, our service Ibex Pay to run their payments. We get some really good traction just organically, so even in Europe. Nice. we sometimes get people using it. Uh, we like to think it's the easiest way for merchants to get paid when it's not just a sole proprietorship, but let's say you have mm-hmm. employees, you have you know, other people using the service and you want to have a, an easy way to do it. And we're just improving it every day. And pretty soon we'll have, a, we'll have a really cool functionality where if you're getting paid in Bitcoin, you can link directly a Lightning account and just get your Bitcoin streamed through to you without having to do anything oh
2: you're mute sure that sounds there. awesome um, yeah. i mean I, th- I was using um, ibex um, lightning um, at bitcoin amsterdam and it's brilliant it was you know the it was it was everywhere and yeah. um, I've, I've still got it on my on my phone um, and use it often but um, mate it's, it's a fantastic service and um what What sort of developments are ibex working on at the moment um, to Im- Im- better improve your service, which was already a brilliant service as it was
0: well uh, that that part that I said of the streaming payments is is one of it. But, um, you know, we're always looking for uh, liquidity partners in different jurisdictions so that we can actually convert to fiat instantly because that's the other service we do. Uh, But moving away from IBEX Pay, which is kind of our more retail facing product, uh, our core product really is IBEX Hub. And that's where most of the magic happens. So imagine this. To build out IBEX Pay, first we have to build out IBEX Hub, which is the core group of services that, you know, this is an enterprise-grade uh, um, set of tools, API tools for developers to build their own IBEX Pays and, uh, and their own, you know, uh, solutions into their apps and services and products. So anybody that thinks they can leverage Lightning, to deliver a better customer experience, uh, to facilitate payments, to just make everything more agile, instead of going through the whole development and all the uh, problems that are associated with running your own lightning infrastructure, you can contract our services. And much in the same way you do cloud service, you don't set up your own server infrastructure, you know? the you you can just uh plug into our apis and start delivering lightning into your to your customers and that is really our core product some something we I'll, I'll like to do a demo for yeah. you guys so you can see because it's really cool <laughs> that'd be great um
2: going back to your uh well i'm not going back to it but i'm just curious as to how you even ended up in ibex and what was your journey um through the bitcoin rabbit hole that that brought you to doing what you do now.
0: Well, I think my Bitcoin rabbit hole story starts before even Bitcoin <laughs> existed. It starts for me. It actually starts, I believe, way back in the '80s when I was just a little kid. Because uh, I was, I was a little kid, but I, I still remember stuff, right? And during the 80s we went through a period of very high inflation in Guatemala and we went from parity with the dollar to one to seven in the space of like five years which is ridiculous and friends of the family and stuff I saw people lose the down payment on a house they had the money saved in the bank to do the down payment they ended up buying a TV. That's insane. That's, yeah, that is ridiculous. So that's the first event in my life that prepped me for Bitcoin. Second event in my life that prepped me for Bitcoin was in uh, 2003. I uh, uh, I was in the first, I would say entrepreneurial project. It was a bicycle manufacturing, not manufacturing, assembly company with a friend of mine. And uh, and we went, we were on the wrong end of a bank bankruptcy. So this is a wild story. Uh, there was this bank in Guatemala that liked to play fast and loose with their investments. And they were offering like really high returns on offshore savings products. Now we had to use those. That, those offshore accounts to pay our suppliers in China because it was a bicycle assembly mm-hmm. company. And because uh, of SWIFT and stuff, you can't, at that point in time at least, you couldn't wire directly from Guatemala uh, to China because corresponding banks and stuff. So we had to go to uh, this offshore bank account, which was in Caymans, to wire <laughs> the money outside, Right. Anyway, these guys were playing fast and loose and they had invested a bunch of money, pretty much all the money, with Bernie Madoff, which was offering like 20% returns. (laughs) Yeah. And they lost everything. Shit. And Bernie Madoff went down like a couple weeks later. I got a call. I was on vacation at a friend's farm you know just hanging out and i get a call from from my uh, uh what we call pp of sales and he says hey the bank is going bankrupt <laughs> and i'm like no way bancafe is I'm like, no way this cannot be happening that's this is friday evening. it just goes to show you how quick these things happen and yeah and the thing is for the offshore where it's where our money was because we were i had the i had knocked out and notified by the supplier that i had to prep the payment because the shipment was coming in the following two weeks so i had to be ready we lost all of the profit for a year all of it shit so yeah when 2012 rolls around i bump into the bitcoin white paper randomly down a you know, uh, a a Google search, whatever, rabbit hole. (laughs) I bump into the white paper. I didn't even need to get convinced. I'm like, I don't care about the price. If they can't inflate it and they can't take it away, (laughs) it's good enough for me. (laughs) I I love this stuff. But, you know, I, I, I was dumb enough to not mind, even though I downloaded the client. And you could actually oh, mine back then with a regular computer. And I didn't do that because I'm lazy and didn't understand the technology or didn't go deep enough into it. I, I even visited a couple <laughs> of faucets sometime, but <laughs> I was like, no, this is so dumb. I just want to buy this. And I, I went to empty Gox. I tried to send the money. Oh, my, my wires got blocked. <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, it's not my time, but I'll keep tabs on it. And that's how I got into it. And then the second rabbit hole where where I went in really deep was in 2017 uh, because I was living in Rotterdam at that time and I could actually buy Bitcoin and it was a little bit of a wilder time than it is today because there were websites that you could just swipe your card and get Bitcoin at a ridiculous 30% markup or something like that, right? Um, but anyway, I um, I bought Bitcoin and the next day, I'm not kidding, the next day, it lost 50% from where I had bought it. And I'm like, okay. Did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? It wasn't a lot of money, but... I got to read about this, and I just got to go into it very, very deep. And so with my brother, because we were doing this together with him, and we went in deep, deep into this. We listened to everybody. We even listened to crazy guys like, like Brock Pierce and uh, Richard Hart. And uh, what was this guy? Uh, Trace Mayer, which wasn't crazy, but then he ended up being... You know who he ended up being, um, and and it was just before the block size wars, and so we went super deep. We read the Lightning white paper, which at that point wasn't even feasible, right? But the paper came out in something like 2016, I believe, and and so it was. We were on the Segwit forums, you know, battling there. Uh, it was it was a trip. Uh, so like. Those times were so interesting. Like, I'm very hopeful that I got in when I got in. And, and there's a lot of stories here. I think
2: everyone has that kind of moment in Bitcoin. It's like, oh, what if, you know, if only I got into Bitcoin sooner or if only I, I, I mined it at, at the time. We all have those sort of moments of like regret. And we always make those mistakes um, early on in the Bitcoin journey. You m- we might have, you know, put our uh, faith in various people and things like that 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 turned out to be pretty much of a scam so you know pe- people go down this rabbit hole and they don't they don't come out or they don't sort of stay down there unscathed you know we, we've all got our bruises in the bitcoin ecosystem in some way haven't we
0: <laughs> I, I like to say everybody does their shit yeah. tour of yeah. duty Yep, I I don't begrudge anybody that says oh I'm in Solana or I'm in whatever I'm like yeah I was yeah, I was there at out. one point <laughs> yeah let me know when you get out
1: <laughs> well but wouldn't that be the perfect thing to post the meme lightning will kill your shit coin like haven't you haven't you started doing this with ibex that would be quite a uh, quite a funny marketing
0: thing <laughs> I I would love to to do that. <laughs> but right now, but legal just, says no <laughs> yeah <they're> legal <laughs> marketing uh, our client base so yeah, obviously
2: yeah. you mentioned mount gox did you get burnt by that
0: no because i couldn't they wouldn't receive my wire i sent it to japan but they wanted to see like where is this money coming from What are you going to use it you have to have an invoice and I thought this is too much hassle so I just saw the the implosion explosion Mm. from afar I'm like oh my lord (laughs) this is wild but to be fair because of everything that had happened to me I sounds like you dodged the bullet I I didn't understand how people bought bitcoin and didn't know that the first thing you do is you take a take it off an exchange and take custody yourself. That's the whole value prop like to this day I don't outside of traders who are day trading and stuff why would you have any bitcoin significant amount of bitcoin in an exchange it makes no sense to me it's like ah oh, get it out.
2: Yeah as if as if um trading
1: isn't risky enough leaving your bitcoin on there at the same time you're playing mm-hmm. with fire. How do you see this with Lightning specifically, um, Jose, because I know a lot of, you know, like we have the crazy OG Bitcoiners who go like, yeah, if you have in Lightning, it's an IOU and whatever mm-hmm. the hell, I'm not allowed to say the F word, otherwise I have to pay. Um mm-hmm. How do you go about this? Because I imagine as a business offering these services to, to regular mom-and-pop shops or even bigger mm-hmm. groups in, in Latin America, um, there's always a bit of a trade-off. How do you guys go about this with Ibex? Because we've heard you can literally stream it to your own wallet if you want to, um, or you can mm-hmm. use it different ways if you want to convert to fiat and such.
0: Yeah, well, what we want to do is we want to get the money into our clients' um, accounts or hands as fast as possible. Uh, it's it's a little bit tricky. And to be fair, you can't do it 100% with everything. And we are operating in a, in a custodial world, I like to believe. Even if you do sophisticated stuff like, okay, you have your own node, but it communicates maybe with my node, and then we establish a channel. And it's still, to me at least, at best, a joint custody situation, because I've heard all of these solutions and they're being, you know, marketed at, as non-custodial and stuff. And uh, yeah, and I just got right before we got on this call, I just got off a call with my team where we were just discussing this. And my point of view is, let's say, if we take it back to brick and mortar world, non-custodial means I have my warehouse, only I have the key. And if the gold that I have in that warehouse somehow gets stolen, it's with because somebody violated the warehouse, which I'm under complete control over, or they stole the key from me and gained access to the warehouse and the gold. And it was only on me, right? And that's, I'm in a no custodial world. But the problem with all of these sophisticated setups, and they're very sophisticated and to be fair, they're they're pretty safe, but they're not a hundred percent non custodial. It's not that warehouse type deal. It's a situation where if your warehouse acts on my instructions, I can defraud your warehouse. Right? If I somehow get exploited and I send wrong instructions, if I send the the wrong payment information, whatever, if I can actually block off access to those funds, because that's the other thing. Things in Bitcoin can get lost without anybody actually benefiting, right? So we can see the funds, (laughs) but you can't access them. And that is as good as somebody stealing them, at least in my opinion. Because mm. what you want to do is preserve the integrity of the value you are, and lightning to me in that sense means use it as a wallet. Mm. I, this is what I recommend to everybody. This is a true. This is a wallet in the truest sense of the word. Word. Uh, a cold storage. That's your savings. That's your bank account. Whatever. Lightning. If you're not comfortable right now walking around with, let's say, 10,000 quid in your pocket, don't do it in Lightning. <laughs> just, just don't. And, but uh, the technology will get better. There's a bunch of stuff that's coming online right now, uh, functionality that we're going to be adding. I th- I do think in in 12 months, maybe we're in a world where we can offer Either true non-custodial, it's still dicey on definition there, for me at least, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a different world uh, because this technology is moving fast and there are solutions coming online that will address a lot of these weaknesses so we can make the the offering as safe as possible and definitely a lot safer than bank accounts. <laughs>
1: Yes, and I guess if Lightning really is the scaling tool for Bitcoin in everyday sense, you know, if they accept, I can pay my coffee with it. Is a shop interested in, you know, going full custodial to use this thing? No, they're interested to save costs and potentially get that money instantly into their bank account. Um, Or who knows, you know, maybe they need to pay their um, coffee roasters in Guatemala and send, send an invoice directly, right? I think that's the at least how i understand the market position lightning has and it shouldn't be a replacement for on-chain because if you want no. store of value custody just have yeah. your multi sig wallet in cold storage whatever boom there you go right problem yeah, solved So we often and have this
0: in fight mode oh and there's some really cool solutions coming up and in, in for the um on-chain cus- cus- self-custody stuff uh Cool storage, oh, nice. some really, really cool solutions. Share, share, share. So, okay, for Bitcoiners out there, most Bitcoiners don't know this. Even if, let's say, investment people uh, want to buy Bitcoin because they believe in it, and maybe they hold it personally, they still, the problem with Bitcoin right now, and everybody's saying like, why does, don't doesn't X buy Bitcoin? Well, the problem is, there's it's not investment grade. It's not an investment grade asset. What does investment grade mean? Basically, it means you're insured with a rated paper. A-rated paper has to be issued by some reinsurer. So let's say Lloyds of London. They are and they have A-rated agencies within Lloyds of London, Swiss Re. So you got to go to these really big players that so far have been a little bit, um, let's call it, cautious about insuring an asset like Bitcoin because, you know, they don't really understand it. But now uh, I just had a presentation over in Nashville about a month ago uh, where some guys had cracked this nut and they're coming out with uh, Bitcoin insurance. To be fair, it's in fiat, and it's for the amount you insure it in fiat, not. But it has some very interesting uh, ways to manage price fluctuations with Bitcoin. Uh, It has a fairly high deductible, which I think is like 30%, but it's insured. It's actually backed by A-rated paper, and so it's going to make... Bitcoin investment grade for these institutional investors and companies and family offices that so far couldn't actually buy the asset because it was deemed too risky for their portfolio. So besides the BlackRock ETF, this is also coming online at a very interesting time pre-Halving.
1: I was just about to say, it's it's, it's almost as if they choose the the timing of releasing the stuff, right?
0: (laughs) It's things... It's so weird. I don't know how you feel about it. But to me, it's sometimes like things in Bitcoin always align for good and bad. Like when it's bad news, it's just, (laughs) (laughs) ah, it wants to get pushed, push you into a hole. But when it's good news, it's just like, how can all of this be happening, you know?
2: And some of these things that you're talking about, some hardcore maxi Bitcoiners, bit, oh, no, you know, it's not the Bitcoin way, but it's, it's almost like a means to an end. If you want to get somewhere, you have to take the journey first, right? Um, you, you have to, you know, put all the options on the table and, 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 and open yourself up to new possibilities within the Bitcoin
0: ecosystem. So it might surprise you to, to hear that I consider myself a Bitcoin maxi. That is my currency of choice. But I don't think being a maxi excludes leaving people out. To me, the whole... So one of the biggest value propositions of Bitcoin for me is that Bitcoin is the money for enemies. Meaning we don't have to like Mm -hmm. each other for us both to use Bitcoin. And in that sense, Bitcoin is the most inclusive currency in the world. And being a true maxi means allowing for that inclusivity. So use Bitcoin however you want to use it. Like there's no one right or wrong way, I don't believe. And honestly, if we mm. want to go mainstream, we have to allow for all of these types of use cases because not everybody's comfortable hacking away at their computer and building their own node and having their own server infrastructure in-house. And you know, we have a friend here in, in the office and he's like uh, going down into this, uh, what is it? Um, the star nine thing and you gotta custody your information and you gotta custody. And I get it and I agree with him, but I also recognize 90% of people you know, it's right. it's like right. here's what I say. For the end user, convenience trumps security a hundred out of a hundred times. So we wanna go mainstream, let's make this shit easy, you know. It's it's pretty simple. <laughs> let's get the let's get a better experience than what they have with their bank right now than what they have with credit cards, because we can get there. Bitcoin and Lightning specifically solve so many issues that the traditional payment rails have right now that it's it's not even funny.
2: Yeah, Bitcoin is superior in so many ways, and um, there's so many different uh, uh- opinions are in the space about what, what Bitcoin is for everyone. And, that, and that's the whole point of it. Everyone needs to be able to have that conversation and and use Bitcoin the way they think it should be used. And that's, that's the whole point of it, really. What's your stance on the whole um, KYC, non-KYC um, discussions that are constantly being hashed out on Bitcoin, Twitter, etc.?
0: Well, uh, first of all, KYC, I'm very opposed to but I comply with fully, which is weird. I don't believe the way we change this world is by just uh, hammering people and regulators and calling them evil or the spawn of Satan or whatever. Uh, They're not, they're, they're looking at some problems out there that are real problems. I think they're going around about it the wrong way. Because it's about weaponizing the ultimate agent for peace that we have, which is money. And if you do that, if you weaponize your agent for peace, where well, then you're incentivizing violence. And then you have things like Ukraine, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Somalia, these are all The violence in all of these countries are not because we didn't KYC enough people. It's because the KYC AML system, as it stands today, incentivizes this violence. And the fiat world, as it stands today, incentivizes this violence. And I want to bring this point of view to to the regulators. And I constantly engage with them. And I realize, like, yeah, I understand what you're trying to do. And I don't believe, like, I agree with you in that it is an issue we have to solve this. I'm just saying, let's see if there's another way, (laughs) because right now we might be, you know, creating more harm than good. So, but I fall on it in that sense. Um, I oppose it completely, but I comply with it completely because I understand the world we're living in and we, I understand the concern of, a lot of people and at the end of the day these are the laws that were generated by elected officials etc and i have to work in that world it's like yeah. let's say if you're opposed to drugs mm. you don't you don't go at the problem by becoming a drug lord <laughs> you try to reach out to your uh yeah, the officials and say listen let 's talk about this. come back mm. we got to get the voters on our side basically is is what we got to do because once we get the voters we yeah
1: and I guess it 's always which perspective are you coming from if I have the ability to pay for my coffee and morning breakfast with lightning." I want to make sure that the business that accepts it is you know, fully compliant, that it's not like a backdoor gambling poker site and mm-hmm. I'm actually financing some weird stuff. So in a way, even though like, you could go into the whole rabbit hole, you know, how anonymous is lightning and, and privacy and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I still engage with a probably fully KYC business because it has to mm-hmm. do it in the legal framework it operates in, right? Well, so. Well, can it be truly private if you always engage this way or even maybe, you know, if, if I pay like a freelancer who has his account on ibex and he verified, like they have to do this to open the account, right? So it's always that sacrifice between convenience and um, super duper privacy.
0: Yeah, well, here, here's how I feel about it. So uh, another thing that I do feel, and I, I don't know that how this plays with the KYC people, I do segregate it into two camps. One is private, private individual, KYC, and the other one is business. I believe we do not need to KYC or even want to KYC individuals. That's counterproductive. I think it's one of the worst things. And like, I've been a victim of this, by the way. The reason I couldn't send money to Japan was because of KYC AML loss, right? So <laughs> I, I, I know, I felt it. I can't open a, or I couldn't open a brokerage account since 2000, whatever, because again, KYC, AML, I'm too expensive to onboard for a broker. So I never got to buy stocks because I'm from Guatemala. So I understand how much they segregate the world. Um, So I don't, I'm not in favor of them for the individual. However, I'm fully in favor for KYB. I don't believe businesses deserve any privacy. If you're a business, right, you should be open books, and it, especially if you're a public business. As an individual, your privacy should be complete. Mm-hmm.
2: That's an interesting. That's an interesting thought, actually. Yeah, I get that because if you if you're deciding to put yourself out there and 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 build a business um you need not only uh, a good product and reputation from uh, for your customers to be incentivized to transact with you you need to know that the um business is legitimate in some way as well right
0: well that and the fact of the matter is that a business is not an individual so you can't right. mm-hmm. let's say prosecute a business in the same way you do an individual if that makes any sense it does yeah a business can't go to jail. A business cannot die. And that is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And we like to treat businesses the same as people. And sometimes they even get treated preferentially. But I don't understand why. Because they, they get this huge advantage that they can't die. They can't go to jail. They can't really be threatened in that way. The only ones that suffer consequences at the end of the day are individuals not mm-hmm. businesses and also a business is beholding to too many stakeholders mm-hmm. for it to be completely private mm-hmm. right it's like you're a business even if you're a small business you have 10 employees that's probably 50 people that depend on average we're 40 people now because there's less kids involved but 40 people on average that depend on that business survivability and having transparency in that world is, I think beneficial to the individuals Mm. because I'm concerned with the individual, not Mm. the business. And this is also why our offerings are mainly to businesses or Mm. we cater to business specifically because that's how I kind of solved my conundrum with the KYC, KYB stuff. Mm. i'm completely fine ky being business i yeah it has to be done i
1: I mean imagine i I know microstrategy um well maybe we get an insight i know microstrategy (laughs) is building their own lightning products and stuff but imagine a public company like this one who is actively i don't know distributing their shareholder updates quarterly if you could actually just you know open an explorer and see like oh there is actually the money flow in and out which they promised and you can maybe verified with a note or through other tools. That's what we want in the end, right? And that's yeah. also the big criticism we make with banks, like, oh, you do everything behind shut doors. But for some reason, people can't differentiate there and uh, always see it as a, as a... It's not a victimhood, but it's, it's definitely we're being abused by something which inevitably businesses have no choice
0: anyway. So yeah.
1: if they already have to do it, let's use it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... Uh... You know, to your point, um, I think when we say uh, fix the money, fix the world, it goes to your point exactly because of how I see it and what you're talking about is we're getting all these bad signals because we don't have a true market uh, mechanism going on. The reason we don't have a, a good market mechanism going on is because we don't have free money. And free money is the prerequisite to a free market. And the more we manipulate through printing, setting interest rates and whatever, the worse our signal is gonna get. And so a lot of these issues, the KYC, KYB issue and all of these, we can't even start to tackle because our signal is so wrong that we don't know if our solution is gonna work or not, or is even the correct solution, or are we even looking at the problem? Because the signal is so bad. And especially if, for example, so as bad as money printing is, I think setting interest rates is worse. And let me explain this. (laughs) So imagine this, we all know price fixing is wrong. And it's one of the worst things you can do to any product or economy. The minute you price fix something, everything goes to hell, right? And so interest rates, it's very interesting because interest rates are the price of money in the future. It's the—it's a discounting mechanism. How much is it mm-hmm. worth it for you to not have this money available today, but you know, have it in the future. And how much is it worth for me to pay you to have this money right now? And it's a price, right? So get this. We're price fixing that product, which everything else is priced in. Right. So we're we're playing with fire here, gentlemen. We're like, oh everything is on the table at this point. Because if we think, as humans, if we think that we are smart enough to determine the price of something, one year, two years, five years from now, today, and it's the most important product humanity has, because it's our agent for peace, well, we might be stretching some stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't think there's anybody smart enough to do that or has ever existed honestly right that's an interesting wow
2: yeah you've opened up a, a whole a rabbit hole in my head right now and uh, i need to sort of think about <laughs> where i'm gonna go down that rabbit hole i'll just
1: add some <laughs> some like mist and stuff at top yeah. of the edit, edit like <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um what captured my, my um, question that came up for me when we were talking about the KYC non KYC
0: mm-hmm.
2: stuff was um, how it how it sort of blends in with the whole privacy um, side because um, obviously you get a lot of people talking a lot about how important privacy is and I understand that and mm-hmm. I believe that privacy is obviously very important because you know when we take control of our own um, uh, money uh, separate money from state I, I get all that um, but there is a part of me that does sort of wonder about how dangerous uh, complete privacy can be um, Mm -hmm. and what that does mean long-term. Have you had any thoughts about privacy and how that might be a good thing or a bad thing long-term for Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, so privacy to me is, is really at the core. We don't have freedom if we don't have privacy, basically. That's where I fall on it. Uh, This comes from somebody who, again, growing up in the 80s in Guatemala, I feel like being born where I was born and doing the things I did has uh, uniquely prepared me because these are not stories that I hear third hand or I get on stage and I'm like uh, talking about the poor people receiving remit. I'm there, like, this is stuff i felt on my skin, right? And you heard it and you go like, yep, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm not, like, when people talk about the disenfranchised, I am the disenfranchised, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. So, but uh, getting a little bit more serious, in the 80s, I still... Um, I still um, grew up in a world in Guatemala where uh, you could just disappear. The government could just disappear you. It was a real concern. And uh, I'll tell you a story now because everybody that happened is dead now. So my grandfather was uh, an Air Force colonel for the Guatemalan Air Force, yeah, back in the 60s, 50s and 60s, yeah. And around that time, a dictator came into power in Nicaragua. And so a lot of Nicaraguans fled to Guatemala because they were being persecuted and killed. And so one day my my grandpa gets a call in the middle of the night that, that he has to do an emergency flight to Nicaragua with some cargo. And so he goes to, you know, he, he, he gets to the plane and he always inspects his plane because he was very anal about it. He would check every single bolt and everything. And when he opens the cargo hold, it's a bunch of people and people he knows. These are Nicaraguans sure. that he's flying back to get executed and so he gets on the plane is in the middle of the flight he can't do it so he sabotages the plane and has to do an emergency landing in El Salvador does that in a in a farm somewhere just uh, wherever he could like land and and opens the cargo hold and says guys you better leave because if the Salvadorian government gets here before everybody's out of here, you will get killed, right? Um, and so that happened once. Couple of months, uh, a couple of weeks later, again, same story. Flies off, sabotages, lands someplace else. Now he was good enough mechanically that the sabotage was like it was a real condition for the plane, and nobody could i obviously point the finger at him, but two times in a row. Come on, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and from then on, he got confined to to his house, and uh, and he couldn't go out. He was under we call it uh, house arrest, mm-hmm. yeah, arresto domiciliar, and uh, basically drank himself to death. So, and and that's what happens when you don't have privacy. Government is not always nice, and it's not always nice globally, right? Uh Like, yeah, it might be great in a place where your freedoms are secured, if we can even point to such a place today. Um, but, But there's a lot of bad governments out there. And are we really willing to condemn, let's say, 5 billion people to persecution or potential persecution, right? So uh, that's where I fall on it. It's, it's too high a price. And I think there's, again, we have to get creative. When we see a problem, not necessarily the first solution is the best solution. And if we start getting some feedback that this is not working how we intend it to work. So for example, AML KYC, we are getting feedback constantly that this is not working as it is intended. So why do we think pushing it harder is gonna fix it? Yeah, maybe we want to find another way, get a little bit creative here, right?
2: So yeah, because we've learned all the lessons of of the uh, the states from um, you know over over the his over the span of history yet again and again and again. States have found a way to debase our money, to take away our freedoms, to take to erode away our rights, and to put us under more and more surveillance. And um, that's quite an that 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 story you told me is just you know sealed the deal for me really about how significant uh, privacy is because without it, you know, we, we, we can put ourselves in all sorts of trouble because we're putting ourselves in the firing line. Thank you for definitely.
1: Sharing. And it shows you have to protect the individual's privacy to the best ability possible. Mm. And if they engage with these businesses, there is no... Essentially, if you're semi-private with a business, they just see a transaction going in, going out, right? Mm. They don't have a clue what's going on unless you can protect yourself against these Mm. things. And it's a very tricky situation you are in as a company, I imagine, as well, uh, because... How often, if you speak to these regulators, do you have to
0: basically explain the same thing over and over again? Yes. And I talk to them all the time. Or (laughs) maybe not necessarily me, but somebody in the company. So we're constantly engaging with them. And to be fair, I want to give a shout out because they never get it in this space. But most of the people working in this regulatory space... They're good people, and they really believe uh, the job they're doing, and they really, uh, they, they're they trying to solve for a real problem, like how do we keep keep criminals off the street? I'm just kind of, when I engage with them, why do you want to make me the policeman? <laughs> and I explain the problems, and they we meet some place where we're saying, yeah, This is not really working great either for them or for us, but it's very hard to move forward as it stands right now. So most most of them, and they want to incentivize business and they want to help the disenfranchised and they want to do all this stuff as well. And when I bring these arguments, like, okay, listen, fine, let's not do, let's KYC the guy that does you know, uh, 10, $10,000, but give me, give me room here. What, what amount of transaction can I push that you're fine with? Like, it's not going to be money laundering or whatever. Right. And so let's, let's see where we can work here. And they want to do it. Honestly, they, they do want to come up with solutions. Sometimes even some, they just answer to their boss, and they're like, "Yeah, I want to do what you're saying, but I got this." And it's it has to be a group effort, honestly, from mm-hmm. from uh, from the people, where we have to go and really ask our governments, stop doing this. You're hurting us because yeah. you are.
2: Yeah, I was going to say because it's, it's it, as well intentioned and as good of people uh, people they might be. They're working um, in a system that is fundamentally broken because of the the money is broken and it's manipulated and and all the tentacles of the fiat world are spread across all the you know industries and the media and everything. So it, it, we're in a system that is benefiting this the state and the people at the top, and we're the ones that are having to give away our identity, surrender our privacy so they can hoover up every last little drop of fiat money that we're trying to generate for them. We're like the battery, if you like, of, of their
0: systems. There's something interesting you say said there. We're, we're beholden to the state, and if there's one place that absolutely deserves zero privacy, it's the government. <laughs> this <laughs> yes, is how we yes. feel about it. The government, right. it should be like a glass box. There should be yeah. absolutely no... Mistake yeah. about what's going in there, uh, how they're spending money, how much money they're receiving, right. uh, where your tax dollar is going. It, well, that's it the
2: great be, lie. They're meant to be working for us, right?
0: They should be the ultimate KYC institution yeah. <laughs> in the world. Right. You have to declare every single line here. Oh, you have here, uh, um, I don't know, $2 trillion for defense. Mm. Yeah. Come here. Let me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me see the last bullet you've bought. And right. where exactly everything this went. How yeah. many audits
1: did like the the US military went through like 5 or 6 at this point and they still can't find bazillions
0: of dollars? So like these are the people telling us what yeah. to do. You go like, "Holy yeah. shit." <laughs> well, <laughs> There's the discretionary spend that is just black boxes because of national mm-hmm. security. Mm-hmm situations which yeah dude the nation's safe enough you have the biggest (laughs) army in the world so maybe we should just declare
1: the lightning network as national security and you know (laughs) live our own life there
0: (laughs) that'd be the ultimate private
1: hack (laughs) Yeah,
0: we really should (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but speaking it, of Lightning, in the Bitcoin space, we often hear like, oh, you know, it's great for remittances, payments, Im- bursting creators online with things like Noster. Mm-hmm. You as someone in the industry very actively, I bet there are more use cases than this. And if you're not allowed to share by name and such, no worry. But, you know, especially with things like AI coming up and you do read about these updates and these new formats and ways of engaging with it, what is there what Lightning can't touch? Is there anything? Um, is the liquidity an issue for some things? Or do you see a future where basically the whole internet is driven by, by Lightning?
0: Well, yeah, I see that future. And it has to happen. So the premise is this. Our payment systems is, are just not good enough for the world we're in right now for the technology we're using. And money wants to move faster. It's very important, this concept. Money wants to move faster. Because everything is getting delivered faster and you need to settle faster. And how we see at IBEX, the Lightning Network, is as a hyper-efficient settlement network. And it is a great settlement network because it's on the most liquid Asset out there outside of the dollar, but it's on the most liquid asset out there, and so you can settle any other asset at the endpoints. So you can go from, let's say, pounds to quetzales over lightning and not care. So when I get asked the question, How do we know we won? won is when everybody's losing, using Lightning, but nobody knows it's getting used. And that's how the value proposition we bring to our customers is we enable them to leverage this functionality of Lightning, of being an instant settlement network to move any value globally, instantly, and have settlement finality, which is also amazing in itself. If you go into payments, what I'm talking about is really, really exciting. (laughs) And and, uh, there's a lot of projects trying to solve for this and we solved it. I mean, Lightning, not just Ibex, Lightning solved it. And so use cases, what needs settlement? Basically everything needs settlement. Any commercial transaction of any kind needs to get settled somehow. And so I see a future where every financial transaction gets settled and every commercial transaction, no matter what it is, gets settled on Lightning. And to your point, what we like to do, and this is part of of Lightning because it changes, it changes the paradigm specifically for, let's say global payments. And it changes it in this way. So right now, most global settlement companies are used to grouping uh, transactions into as big a transaction as they can and sending one, one wire, one transaction, right, overseas. And so if they can send 100 million at a time, that's the best thing because then it gets really, really efficient. But Lightning is turning this on its head where you get more efficient the lower value you go. But the cool thing about doing it in lower value is you first want to start streaming the payments. But the side effect is that because you're doing lower value transactions, all your operation is the risk significantly. And you can move a lot of money real fast if you do it at a small scale. And then the KYC, AML, everything, you know even liquidity requirements, everything is at risk, significantly. And the other effect of this, how I'm thinking about it, is imagine in the 80s, or start of the 80s, late 70s, you had batch computing processing, meaning batch instruction processing, right? And then the microprocessor came along and it allowed to do a lot of transactions faster, and so, uh, real-time processing became the ideal and everything we're doing right now right now when we're talking here is enabled because of this real-time processing power of, of the instructions. Well, what happens when we have real-time processing of financial instructions? I, well, I don't know I don't is it like <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: How can, you, how can you even comprehend that? It's like the, it's, it's limitless possibilities
0: with, with, with that, that type of exactly. technology, right? Exactly. And one of the first things that are going to be impacted that I do know is AI and IoT mm. and the synergy between that. Because now that. we finally have a way to, trans- to transact nano value or value at a nanoscale, which is what these technologies need to actually get monetized and work. This cannot happen on any other technology, not even close. So it's a very exciting time to be in this thing.
2: Yeah, AI and, is.
0: and Lightning will converge.
2: How, how do you see that happening? Um, and, and how would that work in practice?
0: I. Your guess is as good as mine. I just know right. <laughs> that AI is going to be needing to be uh, paying and uh, themselves between AIs and two other devices, other robots, IoT devices. Mm-hmm. And how it happens, I'm not exactly sure, but AI wants lightning. That I right. do know. I'll give an example because I'm I'm fooling around with this idea. I want uh I want to push out a marketing campaign uh next year, but it can't be just Ibex, it has to be the whole industry. So I'm working on getting industry players together, and it's called Pay with Lightning. And so one of the ideas for the advert is uh I don't know if you follow soccer or how big of a fan you are, but uh, a couple of years back, there was this ad for the World Cup where they would hit the ball and it landed in another country with another player and it landed with another country.
2: Yeah. Do I'm that, but right.
0: with pay, but with money, right? With lightning, that it happens instantly. But the other advert that I have is a guy that's mining and is receiving the sats instantly as yes, they're being mined because they're being received on the on the uh lightning network. He's in a Tesla. He drives up to one of these uh, flat chargers, wireless chargers that are car sized, mm-hmm. right? Drives up, gets out of the car, and without him doing anything, like show the car communicating with the flatbed to get charged up. And just the, the SAT streaming Back out from his wallet in real time, and this is all gonna be possible. So,
2: that, that's yeah, that's an amazing uh, vision of the future. Um, but it, you, what I've also seen on uh, socials with Bitcoin is there's is, is some fear amongst some Bitcoiners about the dangers of AI and how and how it could be a threat uh, to us as in, in humanity. What do you say to those people?
0: There's always that risk, right? Any great tool can be used for good as well as for evil. Uh, At the end of the day, it's going to fall on uh, the people using it. I do believe that. I think AI, to be fair, as great as it is, and I honestly, I just used it last night to draft some uh, communication, Uh, but it's still not, Quite there where I would call it an intelligence, meaning it's not creative. And I did this by getting into an argument with uh, with some AI bots where you could tell <laughs> they were kind of going to talking points that they heard, but there's not the creative idea, there's not right. the spark of I grab this, I grab this I, and then I push out this new never before thought of thing that humans have so when I see that then I will be okay is this guy gonna be good or bad because AI can be good or bad right Mm -hmm. it will have the same folly as humans I believe in the sense you meet good humans you meet bad humans most of the time a human can be both good and bad which is weird so but I think it's an amazing tool I think it's what we need right now Mm -hmm. honestly to continue to progress
2: yeah and that's exactly what it is right it's a tool yeah. um and joel no you you've used it a few times to to sort of like give you some sort of um ideas and inspiration and the sort of content that you you create and write
1: right Do i use it on a daily basis at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go you see i mean it's it it is exactly like you say jose it's you can, I can use a hammer to, you know, hang up nails, to hang up my images, or I can go out and kill someone. It's up to yep. me how I use the tool. And I personally think, especially for creators, if they get more familiar with AI, especially open source AI, because there's a lot of cool stuff happening there as well, and then see like, okay, I already have an open source anything tool... Mm-hmm. Where's the open source money? And the only logical thing has to be uh, Bitcoin and uh, eventually uh, uh, Lightning, um, which begs the question, um, Jose, where is, what is Ibex? What is your guys' future look like? What what are the ideas you want to push? Because I know you've always, um, mm-hmm. or you also are engaged with um a big chains in Latin America. You recently also were on the floor in Mexico or some of you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's, what's your vision look like there?
0: Well, we, we were really focusing. So as much as, as uh, Bitcoin has been a grassroots movement till now, I think true mainstream adoption happens when corporations start using it. And that's also when we get all the regulations on our side. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, uh, PGP, right? PGP, uh, pretty good privacy, was considered weapons great technology in the late 80s by the Pentagon. And there was this big lawsuit and how the guys that were involved in PGP actually won and avoided jail time for divulging security, national security secrets, was they published it in a book. They published the code to for PGP in a book. And then it became a freedom of speech argument. And that's how they got around it. But there was still a lot of stigma around using PGP and pre- using privacy, these privacy tools in the in the 90s. And it wasn't until banking realized, oh, we can use this to secure our transactions and it enabled open banking and it enabled all of these things. It wasn't until they, they actually started using it that the whole narrative changed, right? And nobody questions having internet security now. Like it's, yeah, hashing and all of this cipher, whatever. It's enabled, but it set the precedent, PGP, but then it was when the banks adopted it. Also, let's say the computer. The computer was some weird guys in the 70s. Homebrew club, something like that, right? That's where Apple got born. And and it was this nickel and dime type of business. And But when IBM then convinced corporations they needed to get... Computing power and corporations saw how much they would save it. Then it's when it went mainstream. Email, same thing. Email was around and you know, I, I had my own email back when it was crappy to use. You basically had to put in the IP that you were sending it to. Ridiculous. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> anyway. But then some guys figured they could avoid sending so many corporate memos and they would save X amount of millions on paper, just a memo alone. (laughs) And then they are like, okay. And then everybody in that corporation started using it. And then it went mainstream. Cars, telephones, it goes on and on. So we're in that world right now where we want to show corporations how they can leverage this technology to the maximum to make a lot of money. Because I know when that happens, we get it into the hands of everybody, even if nobody knows they're using it. But then we're running on Bitcoin, which is the good first step.
2: This is where I think you know when when the um, the likes of the ETFs and all that sort of stuff, which people are anticipating and holding their breath on and things like that. But it's this—it's really the building that's going on in Lightning that. Um, gives us the opportunity to transact instantly globally. It's the thing that's really once people get into the Bitcoin space and they realize they can do that on lightning, that's when there's no incentive to go and you've got to stay in the system, right? Yeah. Uh, why, why would you go back to a broken system when you've had a bit of taste of lightning?
0: Well, yeah. And the thing is, we truly are solving for some huge issues. So to give you an idea, uh, I heard this, that Airbnb pays something in the order of $700 million a year on, on fees, FX, and payment, like processing, but not processing, just looking for mislaid payments. That's almost a billion dollars for this one corporation. And all of these things are solved with lightning. Are you going to tell me Airbnb Mm -hmm. doesn't want to look at lightning and say, even if we cut that just in half, it's $350 million a year. And we can cut it by way more because this is not just a little bit better. This is way better. This is at least 10 times better than the technology we currently run. And we're just starting because this is a baby. We have, what, seven, today is 23, six years. This is a ridiculously short amount of time to be doing what we're doing.
2: Yeah. That's amazing. And um, I'm looking at the time of the episode and we're running up to time now. So let's, let's wind it up. And uh, if anyone hasn't been convinced about the potential of lightning and um, you've listened to this episode and you're still not, then I don't know what to say to you, but um, it's left me feeling super bullish. I don't know about you, Joel. but um, <clears throat> Jose, what we, what we've started to do on the end of our episodes is um, see if we can. Um, hold true to the saying that all roads lead back to Bitcoin. And we've started to give our guests a word or um, a topic, and you've got to try and bring that back to Bitcoin somehow. And uh, just because during the episode, I've heard now and again a ping pong ball in the background. I thought the word ping pong um, might be a good way to um, see if you can relate that back to Bitcoin somehow.
0: Okay, ping pong. This is a hard one. You, you, I don't want to be here like five minutes thinking about this. Uh, do I go for the low-hanging fruit? We hanging can always fruit? cut Mate. But we're cutting in time. <laughs> do, do I go for the low-hanging fruit and just say I want to buy yeah, some, some ping-pong paddles online? And uh, sure. the, the manufacturer is in China and I don't have a way to pay him other than Bitcoin, so I pay in bitcoin and i get my paddles
2: yeah i was, I was thinking of like the, the, the analogy you was using earlier about the football yeah. being used to be like, kicking across the other part of the globe that could be like the the representation yeah. of what a lightning payment looks like so yeah, yeah. I'll,
0: well I'll uh, there's another well done. one that's a little bit more <laughs> more metaphorical which is uh how lightning channels work so lightning channels and here's where you want to do low low value payments, right? So let's say you could segregate a channel to be just for, uh, let's say, uh, petrol stations, right? And petrol stations is a very constant business. You know, your average ticket might be uh, 70 quid, your top ticket is 500 quid, and that's about it. So theoretically, with lightning and its ability to go back and forth like a ping pong, but at lightning speed, you can route with, let's say, a max of $500 of committed capital, infinite amount of capital. So if you really get theoretically possible, right? If you really get hyper-efficient at this, you can process n amount of payments for that petrol stations globally, because they operate the same way globally. And so with 500 quid, or let's say a thousand to be on the safe side, right, you can process all of the payments for all of the gas stations in all of the world going back and forth like a ping pong
2: that's that's the advanced level answer and always back to bitcoin i like it well done yeah. <laughs> jose it's been an absolute pleasure having you here at rabbit hole stories um i've learned a lot about uh, the lightning network and it's something i've always wanted to learn more about and the more guests we have on talking about lightning it's just reinforcing my knowledge so thank you for helping me in my lightning rabbit hole um Joelle, any last thoughts
1: I I guess we have to shout out Jose's social handles, because <laughs> I think he's massively under-followed there. Uh, so so, ma- so many, I'm just going to say it out loud, shitty other CEOs from other Lightning companies get a way bigger following. And mm-hmm. I think their ideas are 100 times worse. So definitely check Jose out on the socials. And uh, you also mentioned for the listeners, you're going to be in some of the conferences, with the next one being Riga, probably the following week after releasing this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna be in Riga, then I'm gonna be in a conference in Mexico. I believe it's called Bitcoin Block Party, something like that. And then I'm gonna be in Pacific Bitcoin, and then I'm gonna be in Amsterdam, and then I'm gonna be in Lugano for Plan B. Oh, it's cool, cool. So I'll see you around yeah.
1: a few times in Perth as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Doing a little bit of hopping <laughs> to
1: close yeah, out. The oh,
0: and then I'm going to Dubai, actually. Nice. Oh, cool. When do you go on holiday? <laughs> uh, what What is even a holiday? <laughs> <to> <laughs> <your> holiday? <laughs> <laughs> Lightning doesn't sleep. Come on. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
2: Oh, dear. Brilliant. Mate, thank you very much. And I'll see you in Amsterdam. So thank you once again. And uh, goodbye to everyone else. And we'll see you soon.
0: See you soon.